This is a song. Requires a little imagination on the part of the audience here. A lot of people don't think about it. Been in the news a lot lately, you know, heightening tensions between the East and the West, you know. Chance of nuclear destruction. They don't remember going way back long time ago when the United States was testing atomic weapons in the Pacific Ocean. Way back in the early 50s when atomic testing was still above ground. Little did they know when they set off one of those A-bombs lurking for millions of years encased in a block of ice. Evil incarnate waiting to be melted down and to rise again. Waiting only to take those giant footsteps. <laughs> Sounds something like that, don't it? Something coming this way now! Sounds like... Holy shit! Godzilla! Hello and welcome to a special edition episode of the Then Is Now podcast. I'm your host, Rigor, and shortly I'll be joined by my co-host, Spency Domepiece. Yes, we're already out the gate. One episode under our belt, and we're already doing a special episode. And that's because in episode one, we discussed the 1954 Godzilla and the American remake in 2014. Now, in October of 2016, Spency Domepiece and I had the good fortune to be able to see the new Toho Godzilla film, Shin Godzilla, a.k.a. Godzilla Resurgence. It's kind of a funny story behind that because we got there about an hour and a half early and the film was sold out. But we did manage to get in and see the film and that's a funny story that we're going to describe to you in this episode as well. I will warn you that we are going to spoil the film. We're going to talk a lot about it and what went on, including the ending. So you may not want to listen to this if you haven't seen the film yet. The other thing is, uh, on a technical side, we recorded this immediately after seeing the movie in the car, and I happen to have my MP3 player with me, which has recording capabilities. So what you're about to hear is not going to be the greatest quality, but it's the best that we could do, and we're improving our quality as we go. So we hope you stick with us and listen to today's exciting episode of Shin Godzilla. Okay, let's get the contact information out of the way first. If you want to leave us a voicemail that we can play on the air, our number here is 207-619-2889. You can also send us an email at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. Our website is horrorhaven.com. And you can also reach us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thenisnowpodcast. We'd love to get a discussion going about Shin Godzilla on there, and I'd love to hear your input about what you thought about the film if you were lucky enough to see it. So let's get on with today's episode. We're glad you could be here, and um, enjoy the show. Okay, this is a special uh, extra edition of Then Is Now. Spency Domepiece and I have just seen the new Godzilla Resurgence, a.k.a. Shin Godzilla or Shin Gojira, depending on what country you see it in. And uh, we're going to talk about that right now. So there are spoilers ahead. So if you haven't seen the new Japanese Toho Godzilla film, you might want to wait before you listen to this um, segment that we have here and go and see that first if you can. Up from 
the depths, 30 stories high. Igor and I'm here with Fancy Dompiece and we just saw as I said the new Godzilla film the Toho film from 2016 and the first thing I noticed was that there were a lot of uh, different film styles in it at first it looked like it was going to be a found footage film um, done with that handheld kind of style but they didn't do that they they kind of that was it for a little bit and then it, it, it continued on Spency what's your take on this yeah, you're kind of right with the different camera ways of doing things. Is The found footage was really only for times where it was like a cramped space or someone, or like it made sense to give hints at something the way like like society would view it on the news channel or something like that, or the people of a higher, like higher power in the government. But then they also did a lot of close-ups on people's faces. They moved from like different camera shots, and when they kind of panned out, they typically didn't have the people in the center. They kind of had them off to the side and just kind of showing the scale of where they were in relation to whatever was happening. It even happened with showing Godzilla and just how big everything really is in comparison, which I thought was interesting. Right, and I, I do want to say, too, that um, if you haven't seen this new Godzilla film, there's a lot of spoilers ahead here because we're going to talk about the movie very briefly here, but we're going to ruin some of it. So you might want to get your hands on a copy of it if you can before you uh, listen to the rest of this. So um, did you notice also, too, that like when they showed the, um, the Prime Minister, every time they showed the Prime Minister... Um, in his office, it was sort of from a distance that was uh, like behind, it was almost like it was behind a plant, you yeah, know? It was yeah, like, there was a lot of um, cameras like as if they placed them in certain spots. There was one moment where they were moving chairs around and things, and there was like the camera angle was from the seat of the chair. Right. Which, yeah, they put lots of different camera angles all over the place trying to make it seem interesting and different. Yeah, there were different filmmaking styles involved in this, which I thought was interesting. The, the plot itself, uh, like we should get into the plot a little bit here. It's sort of a remake of the original with today's sensibilities because I felt that there was a there was a kindred spirit between the U.S. and Japan in this. When this thing starts happening and Godzilla starts attacking, you're sort of thinking about the recent disasters in the last couple of years of, uh, what was it, the, like the tsunami and the nuclear power plants yep. and all that stuff that happened in Japan. And, and Spencer, you and I were talking before the film about how, well, you know, World War II is a distant memory and it's going to be about that stuff. But they brought that up. It came up in the film where one of the characters was like, you know what, um, you know, my grandmother suffered through the first two bombings and if we have to deal with this with a nuclear bomb, I'm not going to suffer through a third one. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. It, it really is still fresh in their minds over there. I had no idea. They uh, made a lot of references to American culture in relation to Japanese culture. Because there was one moment where when the Americans sent a very young ambassador over there, they said, oh, they value skill and, what's the word, uh, qualifications over seniority. Right. Which is really interesting because a majority of the ministers and every every important person were really kind of elderly and full of wisdom, and that's from Japanese culture in relation to American culture, and so many different things like that kind of conflicted, but it kind of worked in a way because this Godzilla film kind of took it on a bigger scale because it was the whole idea of, well, you see a giant monster it shows up in Japan, how does the rest of the world react? They never truly addressed that until later films, 
and this one really took it from the beginning. Yep, the U.S. is directly involved with Japan because of World War II. Right. But but the uh, the U.S. didn't get involved until Japan said, you know what, we got to call the U.S. for help. Yeah, that was something they did. They actually, one of their first reactions was, hey, can the U.S. do something about it? They said, not until we exhaust our resources. Right. was one of their things. Now, getting back to the plot of the film, the plot of the film is fairly similar to the original in that something comes out of the ocean and starts attacking Japan. They don't know what it is at first. They decide through a series of things to call it Godzilla, um, which I think that's something that you should probably see in the film rather than us explaining it to you. It becomes called Godzilla, but it be it becomes sort of the perfect being. They sort of describe it as... I think there's a moment in the film where it not only do they say that it reproduces asexually, but it evolves on a whim. It doesn't evolve generationally. It itself can evolve. Yeah, that was a major thing. Was In the original Godzilla ideology that it's um it was irradiated by the bombs but in this it like feasted on other radioactive materials kind of giving it a whole different evolutionary scale and different standpoint a whole different chain and it so it was able to directly kind of pokemon style change itself on the spot right which was really really interesting and cool to see and yeah and they said 60 years ago some they had dumped radioactive materials in the ocean and these creatures feasted on it or a creature and it became Godzilla mm -hmm. which is funny that you brought up Pokemon because while I was watching this film I kept thinking of uh, Space Cruiser Yamato or um, Star Blazers as we know it here in, in America there were a lot of similar elements to a lot of the anime that I grew up with and probably some of what you grew up with in terms of, of the storytelling in terms of Japan sort of saying you know what we have to work together to stop the thing, whatever it is. I mean, there's a moment in the movie where these characters are, are, are you know, high up muckety-mucks in the, in the political spectrum. They're trying to figure out what to do. They're working 24-7. They're literally sleeping in the office, you know, working overtime, trying to figure it out. And one of the characters kind of realizes that and says, hey, this is pretty cool. We're all, nobody's, you know, rushing to get home to their family. We're, we realize that this is so grave that we've got to take every moment of the day to figure this out. And I thought that was interesting. It was sort of... If I well, may interrupt, it yeah. was a moment where they um, they kind of decided, forget seniority, who has the most knowledge about this current predicament? What can we do as people to help each other out? Because they knew it was going to grow from just a Japan thing. It was going to ultimately destroy humanity if they didn't stop it here and now. Right. And so getting back to the plot, so you've got this creature, it's, it's devoured you know, nuclear waste back you know, 60 years ago, now it's out of the ocean, we don't know why it's in Japan. It seems like it was heading towards the center of the seat of government. We're not sure why or if it knew where it was going, but um, that affected the plot because that affected how they attacked it. Um, and then, you know, when, when Japan realizes that, crap, we need help, we need the U.S. to help us out it gets to the point where a nuclear bomb has to be dropped on this thing in order to see if they can stop it. And that, I think, was a defining moment in the film. I was, I, I had a tear in my eye, I have to say, when they realized, oh, crap, we have to drop another nuke on Japan, and we have to let the U.S. do it, and we're the U.S.'s whipping boy again. And it was, it was almost like, like they were defeated. They were like, they really didn't want to do it. They knew there was no other way. Although they had a backup plan that they've been working on, but but the main characters, like the the prime minister, of course, spoiler alert, the prime minister gets killed, and the guy who's the agriculture minister ends up becoming prime minister, 
And so he's like, I don't know what the hell to do. I'm just the agriculture minister. But he realizes, too, that we got to let the U.S. drop a nuke on us. That's the only way to go. And, of course, Russia and China are close by, and they're saying the same thing. And that was a defining moment in the film. When when they, like, pretty much gave up and said, yeah, we we got to let them drop a nuke on us. I mean, what did you think of that? There were some moments, though, that other um, ministers were like, well, of course the U.S. is going to drop a bomb on us. Why, would, why wouldn't they? And But the U.S. responded with, if it was New York, they would have the same reaction. Right. Which kind of, like, which kind of hit a lot of the characters. Like, all right, they're willing to take down major cities to save humanity. Right. Which kind, which can... Which kind of gave a little bit of, um, I don't know, empathy towards J Japan and the U.S. both at the same time from the audience perspective. I think so because, I, you know, there's a moment where they said, oh, yeah, well, we're far away, far off Japan. You know, we're far off Asia. They don't care about us. And then, like you said, they said, well, if it was New York, we would do it in a heartbeat. And I thought about that and I was like, yeah, we would. I mean, if it was we're near Boston, if it was Boston, yeah, drop a nuke on it to stop it. I mean... You know, so it's it wasn't. I think that did kind of change things too. At first, they were, you know, they were all happy with the U.S. coming in to help. Then they were pissed when they realized they they would have to use a nuke, and then they were like, you know what? All right, they realized America would do that on itself. It wasn't a question of just because they're far away. It was a question of what needed to be done to save everybody else. And something I liked about the um, original Prime Minister, he was fully intent on saving everybody he could. Right. There was a couple moments in the movie where he did not want to risk any civilian casualty. No human life was worth damaging Godzilla, which I thought was very noble. And, like, I kind of agreed with him and empathized with him that I wouldn't, I wouldn't sacrifice anyone just to take him down, even if it means that we could take him down for good. I wouldn't do that at all. Right. So I can I could appreciate that. As a, that was very different from the kind of geopolitical things that you would see normally. Normally you'd see, oh, it's just another statistic, it's a casualty, we'll move on, we'll survive, but it, the premise is fully intent on keeping everyone alive at any point, which I, could, I really appreciated from him. Now, it should be noted that what's interesting about this film is not only are there subtitles on the dialogue, and there are characters who do speak English in it, which was kind of a relief, because there were points where you didn't have to look at the subtitles to... You know, you could actually look at the film mm. and enjoy the characters. Not There were few and far between. But there were also um, subtitles at the top that would either tell you who the character was that was speaking, whether he was a minister of some kind or whatever whatever their rank was, or it would also tell you the location of where they were. And I found that to be challenging. I feel like I have to see this again just to get those subtitles now to find out where they were and what was going on. I mean... I think, you know, 50% of the subtitles at the top were about, they were on the roof of the yeah. defense building. Mm. But. And also, something else is, they have a very different government than us, so for, like, for me trying to, like, understand where they were in in case of chain, it was like, the prime minister didn't have a whole heck of a lot of powers, it was really a huge major council, and there were multiple councils all over the place, so they would go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting, deciding things, finding new, out new things, so it was tough to keep track of who was in charge of what, who was more powerful than whom. And it was it was also a sense of age, a case of seniority of them being older, kind of put them in a higher power, which made it both easier and more difficult to discern who was what and went where. Yes, I found that very interesting myself because um, it, it did have to go through, like all the decision-making had to go through several different chains of command before they could come to a final decision, which was interesting. I I thought it was a little frustrating at first, and then but once you got used to it, 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 and 
logic seemed to prevail and it wasn't mm -hmm. so bad it didn't it didn't seem to hinder the process as much as i thought it was at the beginning of the film yeah. um now overall you know the movie really focused on the human characters and, and the political aspect of things which i thought was great because i thought it was very realistic and it was it really was what would we do if this giant monster like if we lived in japan what would what would we do as a government as a people if this giant monster showed up and um, the monster itself, Godzilla, was sort of mutating when it first came out. I think we both thought it was something else. Yeah, definitely. I definitely did not recognize it. The only really defining like um, Feature. features about it was a its uh, the um, spines, spines yes. on his back, and also his legs were very similar. But yes. In the beginning, he looked like he looked a little like misshapen, like babyish. To yes. be honest, like, he he looked. Um, Godzilla doesn't it traditionally mean whale and gorilla. Yeah, like, gorilla his, and. His, yeah. Because his, like, his front arms were very, like, whale arms. Right. Like, they were fins. They were tiny, yeah. They were tiny. You really couldn't use them. But his tail was extremely long, kind of differentiating him from past Godzilla's, which I thought right. was interesting and new. All I could think of was, and, you, of course, Spencer, you probably don't remember this. There was a commercial. It used to be an old commercial for the Museum of Science in Boston. And this little girl was looking at the T-Rex the statue. And she goes, why does he have those funny little front legs? difference between a meteor and a comet? Well, it's, uh, uh, it'll be fun to find out, won't it? <laughs> it's fun to find out makes an ocean wave wave. My name is Karen. My name is Karen. It's fun to find out what your voice really sounds like. It's fun to find out what it's really like in space. This is the captain speaking. Come in, Earth. Boston's Museum of Science, where it's fun to find out. Why does he have such funny little front legs? And uh, that's all I could think of was his arms. I kept waiting for his arms to sort of grow and evolve and become more like what we're used to in the movies where they're humanoid arms. Mm. And they never did. They they remained tiny little, I mean, ineffectual. I mean, how does he wipe his butt or, or feed himself, you know? <laughs> I think because he's also an aquatic creature. That's true. There's, there's a level of that. And also because um, the arms um, traditionally, whenever Godzilla had very large arms, he was typically fighting someone else. Right. And it, it some other monster. In this, it was just Godzilla. So I think the lack of arms didn't so much as hinder him. And it just kind of changed him and made him and differentiated him from other Godzillas. And something I want to touch on is the good part, the really part, the part that I was really waiting for uh, <laughs> when he, yes. his atomic breath. Well, and let, let's be let's say that this Godzilla has new powers that yes, they the original really, doesn't. They really um, gave him way more capabilities among his atomic breath. I I've been a fan of the atomic breath since I knew what Godzilla was. That was one of his one of the more coolest things about him. So when he did that, when he when his spines lit up, uh, he was actually traditionally red as a at, like just going around normally through Tokyo. But when he wanted to use atomic breath, he lit up blue or like purplish. Right. So. And it also his bottom like jaw split into two, giving him a much bigger radius of fi of fire and flame and power. And it went and it kind of changed too. He manipulated it. It went from radiation, which was like all, which was the normal, what you would see. It was cool. It was spectacular. And then it changed into actual fire, which to, which actually burned a majority of the city. Right. You remember seeing that? It was oh like yeah. He he sort of breathed it down towards the ground, and it rushed through all the streets. Yeah. In and around the buildings, and then, like, and it was almost like the first time he had done it, too. Well, actually, it was the first time he had done it. So it was sort of, it was a, a cloud of dust, or not dust, but maybe radioactive cloud. And then it became a sort of a laser beam, and then he lifted his head up, 
And that's when he started to attack the planes. It was mm. the U.S. planes that were coming in. Yeah, and then uh, something else that was a complete and total game changer, more than the, his difference in appearance and power, was his spine. He all he changed it. He stopped breathing fire out of his mouth, and his spines exploded lasers of radiation the same way, but in much smaller accounts. Right. And he was able actually to aim them. Yeah. And he hit the planes and the missiles and protected himself very well. And his tail. That was at the beam end. His, he he yeah. um, did manage to kind of change it to his, just his mouth and his tail were aiming in like two different directions. And it was so powerful because you could see it melt the buildings. Right. It directly, like, like you passed right through, the building was gone. Yeah. I thought that was so much, so much more powerful than what we've seen in the past. I thought it was in excellent. Now, what did you think of the design of him? I, 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 I still think by the end of the film, he wasn't fully uh, mutated or formed. Like, his face looked like it was rotted. He had a zillion teeth that didn't seem like they could function properly if he was to eat something. I, can I mean, I liked you. it. He looked he looked to me, like, from the faraway shots, he looked to me like a cross between the Final Wars Godzilla and, uh, was it Destroyer? What's the one where he was, he had all the radiation inside That him? was Godzilla versus Destroyer. Yeah, he was sort he of was... a cross between those two in my mind. When I saw him from a distance, I, the, only, the first thing I noticed was, wow, he has a really long tail. But then I got closer to him, and, of course, his arms and things like that were very different. But I feel like this is kind of a half homage and half remake of the original where this Godzilla is not meant to last but there are other Godzillas to come and to bring more kind of like an alteration in his looks and his appearance and he'll evolve even more I think and it plus and they brought up the idea where you can directly evolve like it doesn't have to be generational this Godzilla didn't have it but like three Godzillas down he has some kind of ability no he can directly change himself so if a whole new Godzilla were to come out very different abilities, very different powers, different looks. It's not entirely impossible. Right. Which was, which is very interesting and very, to be honest, scary of what they yeah. could do. Oh, definitely. They gave him so much more potential than. Now I thought it was interesting before. too that the main character was was it Yaguchi was his name. Yes, the main character was um, what was his name? Yaguchi was his last name. I forget his first name. Right. Um, he, the actor, I believe, we're going to have to look this one up, but I believe he was also in the live-action Attack on Titan. I think he was the main character in oh, that. Oh, I enjoyed yeah. that movie. Right, oh. which we will do at a future future podcast. Um, but he was good, and it's funny, at one point, one of the characters, uh, they came up with a plan, and they decided to call it the Yaguchi plan, and he was like, well, whatever you're going to call it, we have to do this. You know, and he was very humble you know, there were there were other characters that talked to him about maybe, you know, someday you're going to be prime minister. And it seemed like that wasn't his priority. Like, maybe during his life and, and on his career path, yeah, he was thinking, okay, someday I'm going to be prime minister. But then this Godzilla crap happens, and he's like, I don't care about that stuff. We've got to stop this. It doesn't matter what we're going to call it. It doesn't matter what I want to be in the future. There may not be a future if we don't stop this giant whatever it is, from destroying our country. Yaguchi was very um, uh, aware of the fact that in the he wants to be, they could be prime minister in 10 years, but aware of the fact that in 10 years, there may not be anything to be prime minister of. Right. That he may not, nothing may exist in 10 years. So you, he really was very, very aware that there could be nothing if they fail. Right. There's a high possibility of failure there. There was a moment too, I'm trying to think now, when... Um, there was a character, female character, of course, I can't remember the name because we literally just came out of the movie theater. I don't have time to look it up, but she was sort of a liaison with, uh, she was half American, I believe. Her last name was Patterson. Yeah, she was uh, an American ambassador. Ambassador, right. Mm -hmm. She was the liaison with America, and there's a moment where she's sitting with the American president, 
and he basically like they're lobbying for 24 more hours like the in, in the original it was um and i had said to you in, in the middle of the film i said oh they need the oxygen um destroying bomb which they used in the original and in, i think in godzilla 85 but um they were coming up with a different way of doing it they wanted to coagulate his blood and freeze him essentially and they needed 24 more hours than what the timeline had been set up for the nuclear bombs that were going to come in and, and destroy Godzilla, or at least attempt to destroy him. So they figured, forget China, forget Russia, they are too close, they just want to destroy this thing and be done with it, they don't give a crap about Japan. They said, let's go to France. France is really into biology, we can appeal to them on that level. And so they did that, and it worked, because it got back to the Americans, and it got through Patterson, and she was sitting down with the president, and I thought it was a really interesting a, a kind of a cool moment in the film when the president takes what she says and he's like okay so you need 24 more hours he's like i don't think that's unreasonable mm. you know mm. he he agreed with what she was saying and that was cool because that was pivotal it was like all right we're gonna hold off on dropping the nuke on tokyo yeah the president obviously did not want to drop the bomb on tokyo at all right he um was very against it but um i believe all the uh, like the um secretaries of defense and everything else and foreign policy were kind of pushing for it so by like by decision they kind of had to do it but he right. was willing to give them 24 more hours just to see if they can get their plan off the ground and stop him without having to level another city of japan and really what i felt was really interesting about that was the fact that this was made by a japanese co company this was a toho production the fact that they wrote that into the story says a lot about u.s japan relations that, like I said at the beginning, through the whole first, I guess, third of the film, and the first half of the film, you're like, yes, yes, U.S., Japan, we're friends, we're going to help you, we're going to, you know, call us in and we'll, we'll do what you need, and then it was like, oh, crap, you know, you're going to nuke us again, we're angry at you, and then it came back to, you know what, the U.S. really is on their side. Now, I, that, to me, and I don't know if that was just because when they made this film, they knew they were kind of catering to an american audience mm, mm. but that to me made me feel good as an american as a friend of japan as a fan of godzilla that they they understood that relationship yeah they they appeal to him on the human level which i thought was interesting and also the, but they appeal to us on the human level mm, definitely the audience member. yeah there was a definite definite um appealing of all over the all over emotions logic anything you really wanted um something else i liked was about the movie itself was that they were political figures it wasn't oh you're seeing a per like a common person who is getting wrapped up with big political people. right it like was, in the american remake in 2014 yeah, there was like it it wasn't a one lucky person it was no they were in the power at the time and they were going to decide what was going to happen which i thought was so much more interesting than just kind of the basic story of and most godzilla films right now the one common criticism among godzilla films is not enough screen time for the monster not enough rampaging and destroying what did you think? How walking away from this film, did you wish it, there was more? Was there just enough? I I definitely wish there was more because that's what I go for in a Godzilla film. I want to see him destroy everything and then he, then the humans scrape together something to stop him. That's really what I wanted to see. But I feel like the politics and everything kind of interested me. So like seeing everything, and some of the times um, the way Godzilla worked was he would like exhaust himself and then and then kind of regenerate his energy back kind of through nuclear fission. So he was like there and they showed shots of him like kind of stiff and like sleeping. So he wasn't truly always gone. The only real time was he was gone was of course the first 10 minutes of the, of the film introducing them as a film. 
and then kind of he went back into the ocean and came back and he never actually kind of left after he came back relatively godzilla formed he never left right so he would like just stop i feel and like be frozen in place and then there was a lot of um uh unlike the 2014 godzilla film had a lot of grand gestures and not a lot of godzilla screen time like, there's a lot of giant things that happened crazy things that were cool to look at and that happened in this film but with godzilla on screen because at one point they're when they want to administer the um freezing agent that will stop him they have to they have to get him on the ground to be able to put it because they can't pierce his skin they have to put it in his mouth and right. so what they do is they're blowing buildings up and knocking them all over him. And that's something I've always thought of as like, wow, that's really cool. That's something you could actually use your tall buildings against Godzilla. And that kind of happened in the 2014. I was kind of relating the two a little bit. Um, at the end, he was kind of covered in rubble and buildings all over the place, got up and walked off. In this one, they directly threw them on him, blew right. him up. They launched missiles and explosives all over the place to drop them on him and knock him out. If, if enough, just to get the cure agent in there, which I thought was spectacular to look at visually and, like, auditorily. I love sound, so auditorily, Godzilla was like, hey, what the hell, what are you doing to me? <laughs> and you, I just thought it was so creative to be able to use your, your environment to your advantage. You built that city, you know how it works, you know right. its structures, you know its weaknesses. Godzilla isn't on the same playing field. Right. So they use the advantage. And one thing, like, with the legendary pictures film from 2014... There was a build-up. There was a wait. You waited to hear the Godzilla roar. You waited and, and hoped that they would do the atomic breath, and they did that. In this one, they I don't think they felt the need to do that. It, there was no wait. He Pretty much once you realized he was Godzilla, he was doing the roar, and then the, the, the atomic breath was shortly to follow, which I thought was good. I thought we didn't need that again, they, and they didn't retread that. Yeah. Exactly. They know it had been done. They're just going to do a new take on it. It's it's this next generation, but yet, you know, it's funny. In Japan, it seems like World War II is still raw. Mm, definitely. Because, once again, the seniority thing. Right. It's with the government. And they were all older people. Yeah, all, a lot of older people were, like, either children or had just been born a couple of years after right. that kind of time. So it, it probably will be fresh in their minds, I would say, for another 50 years. Yeah, another before. generation or two. Yeah, definitely. And so there was a level of... I don't know. Uh, there was a lot, level of build-up with the um, Godzilla because, like, when we first saw him, he was very awkward, very strange. No one really knew what the hell he was. Right. Even, even from the audience perspective, we were all very confused. So there was kind of a build-up as to where Godzilla was, come to find out him being Godzilla. Once he kind of took on the real form, everyone was like, all right, let's sit back and watch his destruction pass. And we did. And we got to see a lot of that. We got to see him like basically take control of the battle and destroy so much of Tokyo so many casualties and kind of sadness all over the place and I I for one enjoyed the destruction right I thought it was very good and very creative and there was a moment very reminiscent of the 1954 version when they showed the shelter with the people trying to survive and the, and the families and and what had happened and how they were reacting to it that made me think of the uh, the original film mm -hmm. quite a bit a but of... they didn't harp on it yeah, they didn't like linger on the on the casualties and what was happening on the ground, but they definitely showed a lot of it. Because there was one right. moment where we saw this family like about to escape from their apartment building, like trying to help and being told. And literally, Godzilla, as a uh, I guess in his early forms, kind of jumps on the building and directly knocks it over. And it was really sad to see right. it because they were like they had a <laughs> you were like, child. oh man, like come on. But it was 
it, it, well, you couldn't stop Godzilla at the time, so I was like, all right, right. Just gotta keep moving, get along with it. And they didn't stop. They didn't linger on that. They just kind of kept, like, kind of put, shoved it in there, and kept going, which I thought was a bit better storytelling because typically in other giant monsters, you see, you linger on the fact that someone's gone, the fact that they've just, you've just watched them die. Right. It's, they didn't stop. They, that didn't stop the movie at all. It was like you kind of. It kind of gave you mixed feelings about Godzilla. Was he a bad guy? Or was he just a mindless monster? Was he trying to do, make a point here? You really didn't know. Right. So it was interesting. I definitely think it, it falls in the category of, of force of nature, where it's just man's folly, you know, like mm. the song. You know, oh, yeah. like, nature, what is it? Um, history he, shows again and again how nature points out the folly of men. Right. Because we put this nuclear waste in the ocean, this is the result. Because we've, you know, tampered with nuclear physics and science and weapons mm. and all that stuff, this is the result of it. And it's not just that us tampering with it, it's our um it's our negligence. It's right. they, they kinda tossed away the radiation. Um so that kind of um kind of led to it because most all the Japanese films have been man's fault for this. But in the 2014 film, which was kind of different, it was that the nuclear testing was used as... It wasn't actual testing. It was them trying to kill him. So right. it was like... It wasn't so much that it was our fault. It, he was a force of nature in this. In all the most other Godzilla films, typically it's a mixture of us and then him becoming a real force of nature. And that's a good point, too, because it's not us... It's The film wasn't, you know, sort of yelling at us, saying, you need to be more responsible with this stuff... They just they just threw it out there, and that made makes you kind of think, oh crap, yeah, we should kind of be responsible about, about what we do with mm. this sort of thing, nuclear waste, for example. Yeah, and, definitely, um, definitely. So I definitely think that by the end of the film, I expected him to come back with one more, one more battle, one more, you know, cut a swath through the country once more and they didn't do that and so for a second I was kind of let down but I think overall it worked and I think it's gonna lead to more definitely yeah I think um I and also the fact that yeah he didn't rage through the city rampage just kind of throwing his tail is is um his breath around but because they kind of tried to stumble him with the buildings it was just as visually stunning I think I think it brought some creativity to the destruction. Right. So I kind of, I, I was like willing to accept the limited destruction that I that I saw to, with all the creative ways that they did it. So I was like, all right, it's a good balance. I feel like they kind of, they kind of led it to our imagination of what he could have done and what's to come. Right. Definitely. I definitely think this will lead to more Godzilla films because this was a huge hit. The theater we we're in was sold out. We actually, <laughs> we had to sneak in. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, uh, we snuck in there. So I thought that was, Pretty great. I think that gives me confidence in the Godzilla fan base in Toho. Yeah, it should be noted. I'm not going to say where we're at. We're at a theater in Massachusetts, that's all I'll say. And um, when we got to the counter, and we were an hour early, mm. and it was already sold out. And I was thinking, all right, I'll just buy a ticket to a you know film playing in the same section of the theater, just at, at a similar time, and we'll just sneak in. And that was exactly what the guy behind the counter suggested to us. And he said, of course, you didn't hear it from me. And so we did that, and we snuck in, and we lucked out. Actually, not everyone showed up, so we got seats. Oh, yeah. We didn't have to sit on the floor like we thought we would. So good. that was good. <laughs> 
Haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> I've never done that. That's my first. <laughs> Honestly. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, Spencer Dome Peace is no longer a, a movie sneaking uh, virgin. So, yay. <laughs> yay. So, all right. So, if you get a chance, if you can figure out how to get it, I'm sure it'll be out on DVD within the next few months. Right now, it's about October of 2016. So, hopefully, you'll get a chance to see Godzilla Resurgence, Shin Godzilla, or Shin Gojira, whatever form you get to see the movie in. But I highly recommend it. Actually, I think we both. Oh, I, agree, I would I would highly yeah. recommend this film. This this film definitely marks a new era of um kind of Japanese Toho, Toho films yeah. because I feel like Final Wars kind of ended Godzilla God, God, a Godzilla era and then the 2014 started the American path whereas this is starting the Japanese path. And I feel like we'll keep we'll keep getting more American and then getting more Japanese so I feel like more Godzilla is going to come our way just in different forms. Yes. I'm excited. You can't get enough Godzilla. So that being said, thanks for uh, joining us for the special edition of Then Is Now, episode I guess we'll call it 1A and uh you know, hope you have a great time. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, that was our take on Shin Godzilla. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Once again, if you want to leave us a voicemail, we can be reached at 207-619-2889. You can email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. Our website is horrorhaven.com. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash thenisnowpodcast. We hope to see you next episode in which, uh, and actually episode two, in which Spency Dompeace and I will discuss the original Robocop and the 2014 remake. Thank you very much and hope you have a great rest of your week.
you have such funny little front legs. 